Device Nation. and salutations device nation your home for the greatest show on earth and we know that show is medical device sales with ideas stories and interviews to help take you from good to great i wish i could deliver that intro like the guy from cash cab this is kevin brown your voice of sinus rhythm in times of vt storm i hope you're having a great day hope you had a great week i know i did today you're going to want to hang around for the interview with Jimmy Winborn, pacemaker rep. I love the world of cardiac rhythm management for some bizarre reason, and I had such a good time talking with him, and I know you're going to have a good time hearing what he has to say. So hang around for that. Quick review. We've been in those dark and murky waters called relationship selling. The last couple episodes, we told you how to define it, what it is, especially what it's not. We talked about a fancy schmancy anagram to help us make sense of it. Set is your word, your phrase that pays, S for subordination, E for empathy, and T for time. Last week, we talked about subordination, which is putting yourself in an inferior position, and service is a function of subordination, but I call it involuntary subordination. It's what you have to do. It is your job. It's what you have to do. Now, empathy is completely voluntary, right? And empathy is a form of subordination, but it is completely voluntary. Nobody can force you to be empathetic. Well, what does empathetic even mean? The ability to understand and share the feelings of others. This thing is huge for medical device, um, and I'm not going to give it any of the attention it deserves today, but hopefully give it enough attention that you walk away thinking about it, and we can unpack it uh, as this show continues. Two elements of empathy to help us dissect it a little bit more. There's cognitive empathy, and that's just knowing how the other person feels. And then there is emotional empathy, and that's when you physically feel what the other person feels. I've known people like that in my day, and I know that they are not the people that take being teased too well either. So just as a learning moment from my failure. So let's break this down into the interpersonal versus the professional. And we're going to throw a lot of things out here, but then at the end, we're going to hopefully just tie it all up in one nice bow. The interpersonal aspect we've talked about in medical device because of proximity plus time. And as you engage your customers and ask questions about their life, remember there's death in the declarative and life in the interrogative. Asking questions is itself a form of subordination and empathy. And then as we engage these customers and they talk back to us and we ask more questions and get into their world, we get opportunities to display empathy. And that sends the message to the customer that we care, a critical component of every relationship. So that's just the interpersonal side. So let's look at the professional side of empathy. This is where I think some really exciting stuff is going on. I think if you grasp this part of it, you're not only going to know how to act, you're going to understand your customers a little bit better, you're going to understand your territory a little bit better, and you're going to be able to complement your relationships with them. And that's what it's all about, making them more important. So let's look at just a couple personality types. You're going to understand this pretty quickly. Here's just a couple. The winner. And we're not talking just surgeons, by the way. We're, not, we're talking about HCPs, OR directors, purchasing. You've seen these personality types. The winner, the person who has to win. The conflict avoider, they hate hurting other people. The just do it person, you know, what do you think type personality. 
And then there's the person that is in charge. They want to be the one making the decision. So part of cognitive empathy is knowing, understanding your customer's feelings and thoughts, getting into their world so you know where to put them in these boxes. Why do we need to know what box they're in? Because I need to know who I am and make sure that I can provide a complementary aspect to that relationship and not something completely contradictory. In other words, you put two winners in the room, there's a recipe for some back and forth, some sparks. You can't have that in this job. If you have two people in the room and both think they're in charge, then problems are coming, correct? And since we always subordinate ourselves to the customer, we are looking at our personality and going, okay, I know I come from a very competitive mindset. I'm working with a surgeon who's highly competitive as well. I need to change. I saw a striker rep uh, biography. The other day I followed him, and everything he said in his bio was about winning, 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 how competitive he was. And that's great stuff. But just like everything in life, our strengths are also some of our biggest challenges. So if you are that personality, winner, winner, chicken dinner, then if you have customers like that, you need to be very aware of that and make sure that you are changing how you come across because you don't want to present yourself in any way that's antagonistic. We want to compliment them. Think about a seesaw. And when you are on the seesaw with your customer, no matter who they are, that that seesaw is perfectly balanced that you are bringing balance and value to that relationship. That's how we do that, by knowing who we are, knowing who our customers are, and then being able to complement that relationship. Now, the other aspect of this that I think is just super cool is as we are trying to gain business with our customers, we need to know who they are to be able to allocate resources accordingly. I will tell you just from experience, I had a surgeon that was very much a conflict avoider and was very sensitive to hurting other people. And if I had something that was light years ahead of what he was using, he would not use it because he was not going to call that rep who was a friend of his all those years and tell him I'm not using your stuff anymore. He was a conflict avoider. So why is that important? As we look at our customers and decide who do we allocate time, resources to, we need to know who they are and which ones have the best chance of anything actually happening with. Those people, in just my opinion, and it's just my opinion, are some of the most, most challenging. The person that's in charge can actually be one of the easier ones, but it has to be their idea. And that takes time and chance a lot of times developing developing that angle. But they are so much a master and commander of their own ship that they will switch. And they don't care whose feelings they hurt because they're in charge, right? So knowing that just gives us a better snapshot on how we approach gaining competitive business. And then lastly, all how we deal with these personality types that are already our customers, right? I had a moment where a surgeon needed some help on some digital templating. I said, I will be glad to help you, doctor. I went to his office and installed it on his computer. I got a very terse text later in the day. Who moved my stuff? Well, it turns out I did move his computer to put the software on, but it was only 
tilted about three degrees off of where it was before, but he noticed it, and it was a big deal to him. So since I was empathetic to how he feels and how he thinks, I immediately made a change, and I immediately made a change as to how I approached him from here on out. Now I know the personality type he is, very type A, very, very detail-oriented. So that tells me how I have to conduct myself around him. Do you see how this works? I had a surgeon one time that was so type A that the thumbtacks on his bulletin board were arranged in by color. So how do I, when I notice that in his office, how do you think that affects me thinking to myself, how do I engage the surgeon? I better have my details down perfectly. There's no room for loosey-goosey with a customer like that. And you can pick all that stuff up just by thumbtacks, right? If you have an existing customer that's a conflict avoider, sometimes those are your best customers because they don't want to have to tell you they're leaving, correct? But you can't take that for granted and always make sure they know how much uh, you value them. To the person who's an existing customer that they are in charge, constantly feeding that and letting them, letting them know that they are in charge at all times, is something you absolutely have to do. So in summary, do you see how this works? It's a big ship, I know. It's a lot. Of, I know this is a lot of stuff to take in all at one time, but let's do a quick review and make sense of it all. So we talked about empathy, the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. That can be done either emotionally or cognitively. In business, I think it's primarily cognitive. You have to be able to intellectually understand what's going on. We need to have that empathy on an interpersonal level with our customers as we walk through life with them. And we have to have it on a professional level, not only knowing who our customers are, being able to empathetically discern that, knowing who we are, and then being humble enough and subordinate enough to change how we approach our customers based upon that information. And at the end of the day, use that information to not only help understand our territory, how to allocate resources on potential customers, and at the end of the day, how to keep our existing customers happy. That's a tall order, isn't it? I know it's a lot to think about, but we need to think about it. The unexamined life is not worth living. And part of this podcast is to help bring a mirror to all of us, especially me, and to be intentionally thinking about what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we need to keep doing, and maybe what to stop doing, right? Well, one thing I did not want to stop doing was interviewing Jimmy Winborn. I could just talk to this guy forever because he's an interesting cat. I love pacemakers. I love rhythm management. I love the cardiac space. I think it is so cool. I think you're going to enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. So welcome to the show, Jimmy Winborn. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Jimmy, I'm so thankful you took time out of your schedule to, to chat with us today. I've known you forever. Uh, I knew you when you were getting your shoulder replaced, so we've got that orthopedic connection, and you have been in the pacemaker space for how many years? Gosh, almost 30 now as an industry person. A little longer than that as a, you know, in the medical side of it. Now, question, so many people that I've met in the pacemaker sales world came straight out of the cath lab. Is that 
true? Is that just an anecdotal thing because of my small world that I live in? Or tell me about that. Well, I think of the people that you've been exposed to, which I know a lot of those people, that is the case. You know, whether it's been a nurse or a technologist that came out of the path lab or the EP lab, as I did, um, you know, I kind of came through interventional radiology and then the cath lab and the electrophysiology program was just getting started uh, at our local uh, medical center when I got into electrophysiology. And that's kind of, you know, what steered me into the industry space. That was like I said, almost 30 years ago since I did that. So for the people listening to this, Jimmy, that they don't work at a cath lab, they'll never work in a cath lab, but they're thinking to themselves, you know, I'd like to be a pacemaker rep. Um, I know there's a school out there that will place you, and beyond that, tell us about the school, because I know you know that information, and tell us about maybe some other, unbeknownst to me, secret pathways. Well, you know, so there is a school in Greenville, South Carolina called Arrhythmia Technologies uh, Institute um, that is a nine-month postgraduate program. And by postgraduate, I don't mean you have to have had a bachelor's degree, but if you've got some kind of, um, you know, allied health professional degree, whether you're uh, an associate degree nurse or an x-ray technologist as myself, uh, or you have uh, got a bachelor's degree in something completely unaffiliated to healthcare. You can still, um, you know, get in this program. I think it's about between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars for a nine-month program. Um, it's a very uh, uh, concentrated uh, curriculum. Um, there's also another uh, school up in Boston. I think the name of that school is Prep MD. That school was uh, founded by a guy named Matt O'Neill and Tom Kenny. Uh, those guys were long-time device industry guys, and I think what they saw was coming from the industry. The industry itself was cutting back on its investment in training. Uh, when I got into the industry, it was an intense uh, two-week rotation uh, in of in-house training, and you did that two-week rotation three or four times depending on what your level of expertise was going to be. Um, and I just have found out recently that there is another school that is opened, uh, and it's, I think it's affiliated with the University of Texas. I'm not sure if it's part of Texas Heart down in Houston or if it's part of the University of Texas in Austin. But I believe they do have a, a concentrated course in that as well. You and I have a mutual friend that ran the cath lab for some time in eastern North Carolina uh, down in Wilmington. And when he gave me a book, because I always thought that what y'all do is like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, when he gave it to me, it reminded me of a guy that I saw at a Thai restaurant in Smithfield, North Carolina. I'll never forget this, Jimmy. He had the menu. It was clearly written in English, but it was so indecipherable to him that he turned the menu upside down, hoping that that might <laughs> help him understand what he was looking at better. I, I thought that was hilarious. He looked at me so confused. And I felt that way looking at literature on uh, on uh, the cardiac world. Maybe it's because of my math weakness. Did I just look at the wrong page? Is it is it a lot of math, a lot of uh, ciphering, as they say? Well, you know, there is there is a lot of math in it, but most of that's taken care of anymore by um, by computer. You know, you just kind of put in. You, we have parameters that um, in in cardiac measurements that we have to make and there are uh, numerous theories and algorithms that go into 
how we take that information and, and, and program a device. However, I would say 95% of the programming that's done at implant is very generic. Um, and, and that's because the patient's kind of got to live with the device for a while to know exactly what they need, whether it's, you know, uh, rate or cutoff rates for defibrillators, um, you know, to, to shock therapy versus a lower rate limit for pacing therapy on a pacemaker. So it's, there, there are a number of things that go into that, but, um, it's kind of like I tell folks, sometimes they'll call us and say, Hey, Jimmy, how X, Y, Z and, and check Mr. Jones's pacemaker. And I was like, uh, well, there's 400 pages of code in there. What would exactly would you like for me to check? You know? And so it's, it, it looks almost like uh, it's kind of like trying to pick a nail out of a haystack if, if for the person that's not, you know, in the know with it. And, and honestly, you know, our, our medical customers that, um, rely on us a great deal because the technology has come so far in the last, you know, in my, in my experience, 30 plus years, you know, it's, it's like comparing a model T Ford to the space shuttle. It, it really has come that far. Help this orthopedic clown here understand what's the difference between a pacemaker and a defibrillator. So the pacemaker, that, that technology has been around for an awful long time. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Earl Bakken, the guy that founded Medtronic, uh, who has you know, recently passed away in the last couple of years at the ripe old age of in his 90s. Um, I actually had the honor of uh, meeting Earl when I was employed by that company uh, many years ago. He came to my training class. It was quite an honor to kind of meet the guy that was the godfather of pacing, you know. Sure. Um, Mr. Bakken and his brother-in-law actually developed the first implantable pacemaker out of a garage uh, in Minnesota. So the pacemaker was basically built to support heart rate. So people who had, you know, any number of reasons that they didn't have a, a fast enough heart rate to sustain a stable blood pressure, um, you know, they assembled these, you know, parts and circuits to to provide a low voltage electrical stimulation on the epicardium of the heart or within the endocardium of the heart um, to keep a regular rate. So basically a pacemaker is nothing more than a clock with an output tied to it. So every certain number of milliseconds, it, it delivers an impulse. You stimulate a cardiac cell and the rest of the cardiac cells follow in tow. Uh, a defibrillator is there to convert life-threatening arrhythms, uh, arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats. So uh, such as ventricular tachycardium and ventricular fibrillation. When patients drop, supposedly drop dead of a heart attack, a lot of times that's cardiac, sudden cardiac arrest, which is ventricular fibrillation. So if you think of a taking a water, a balloon and filling it with water, you have a regular squeeze and you know, a couple of squeezes, you shoot all the water out of the balloon and, and fibrillation that you know, think of the heart squeezing and pumping blood to the rest of your body. You go into a ventricular fibrillation. The, it's kind of like taking that same water balloon and just kind of shaking it. The water just kind of spilling out of it. You don't have any pressure behind it. So you can't perfuse the brain. You can't perfuse the rest of the organs. And within minutes you have death. And uh, real death, not what people say, oh, I died and came back. And I tell patients all the time, well, well, technically you tried to die. We saved you or the device saved you. Once you're dead, you're dead. And, you know, and so um, the defibrillator delivers a, 
a high voltage shock to the heart to restore rhythm. Uh, and that technology in itself is just absolutely amazing how we take such a small package and deliver the amount of energy we do as quickly as we do. And I say we as the whole industry, not just not just the company I work for. So uh, it is an amazing technology. And we've we've even come from there to integrate multiple chamber pacing with that. So, you know, patients who have a weakened heart muscle, um, we can pace the left and the right side of the heart uh, either at the same time or with short delays between them to get a more concentric contraction of the heart to make the heart beat more. Uh, efficiently. So my issues with uh, supraventricular tachycardia, which has since been addressed with an ablation, uh, can a defibrillator help in that situation or is that a whole different animal? So it's kind of a whole different animal. Um, SVT or supraventricular tachycardia is uh, the issue that you had. Usually manifests itself um, from the upper chambers of the heart or the, the you know, the atria um, with an accessory pathway. So it bypasses the, the heart's normal conduction system through the AV node. Uh, and it can, in its own right, be dangerous. Uh, definitely a lot of symptoms, as you well know. However, you know, the ablation is a curative procedure for that. And, you know, you're not walking around with something implanted in your heart the rest of your life. Correct. That's an amazing space, by the way. And I don't know, I know your company is big in that space. Uh, you're with Boston Scientific? That's correct. And I'm with the cardiac rhythm management side. So uh, we have a, within CRM or the rhythm management division, we have our, our elective physiology space as well. I don't really um, dance a whole lot in that space other than being aware of it enough to point customers in the right direction. Sure. I've seen a friend of mine up at Duke who was a uh, biomedical engineer uh, went mm-hmm. into that space with y'all and I've seen uh, things he's posted uh, where they map the heart. It's just amazing what is going on in that area right now. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. That's the the one thing I tell folks about PrepMD uh, up in Boston. I think PrepMD uh, delves into that space a little deeper than maybe um, ATI in Greenville, South Carolina does. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I know in the beginning that was kind of their – their mission was to prepare people to go into the rhythm industry, not necessarily just the pacing and defibrillation industry. So I think they get a little, possibly a little broader uh, education on that. But, you know, I challenge you to interview somebody from ATI and prep MD to, to, you know, to kind of get the full scoop on that. But they're both great programs and we have hired people uh, from both of those programs as well. Tell me about the life of a pacemaker rep. I know that in orthopedics, so much of what we do is considered less a job and more of a lifestyle. Uh, is that follow for what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I tell folks all the time, this is not a sales job. It's uh, and it, it is a sales job. It's, it's more of a, of a, um, I'd say a commissioned clinical specialist job where we provide clinical solutions. Uh, we just happen to be the sales reps just happen to be commissioned on that clinical solution. Uh, we, I guess, unlike you guys, as far as my understanding, we still provide long-term care working with the physicians and their partners uh, to provide care for the patient for the life of the device. So we'll, we'll see that patient in an emergency room or we'll see that patient in their office or we'll see that patient there admitted to the hospital and the physician has a, uh, a concern that it could be a device-related issue. 
So um, we are on call. You know, whether we're technically on the pager or not on the pager, we're always on call. Um, you know, I've been called when I was in Europe on vacation uh, by customers. And it's not that they don't care that you try to have a life. It's just that they come to depend on you so heavily. Um, and you can say, hey, look, man, I'm on the other side of the world right now. They're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll call one of your other guys. But they just, instead of going through an answering service like we did so many years ago, everyone has your cell phone now. And so, uh, and it's a highly competitive industry. So if you if you can't answer their questions, someone's willing to. You know, so um, it is a, I mean, I'm, I'm off the day. I'm not on call this weekend, kind of like you, but um, someone could still call with a concern. I, I may not travel. I may have to uh, either just talk them through something on the phone or provide, or get them in contact with the person that is on call. So it's, it's, it's definitely a vocation for sure. It's kind of a calling, as I, I tell folks. Yeah, that's a good word. It was 15 years before I took a vacation in this business. So I, I yep. understand that. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it, it is what it is. I love what I do, though. So it's it wasn't. I'm not. I don't say that asking for sympathy. I mean, I, I love my job, and and I imagine you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have people. You know, I'm going to be 60 in a few weeks, and uh, having been in this since I was in my late 20s, uh, as a as a you know a hospital employee, and then into industry. You know, folks ask me a lot of time, you know, Jimmy, when are you going to retire? And I have do not have an answer for them. Uh, as, as long as I can get myself vertical uh, every morning at five o'clock and get down the road and go help people, that's what I'm going to do. I was in the surgeon's lounge at a hospital you and I used to call on together. And there was a surgeon asking another surgeon about another surgeon. You know, when is this guy going to retire? And the other surgeon didn't answer him. All he did was put his hands together and and started simulating CPR in the air. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I understand that. That's uh, that's probably when mm-hmm. I'll retire. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I'd like to have some quality uh, of downtime. You know, I have grandchildren now. I have, you know, adult children. I have grandchildren I'd like to do a little bit of that, but you know, I do truly enjoy uh, the long-term part of uh, of this space. You know, it's uh, I tell folks all the time. You know, eighty percent of what we do doesn't directly generate any revenue. You know, we make our money in the operating room, um, just as you guys do. Um, but the reward in the job comes from the seeing patients in clinic, getting to know them, getting to know their children. Um, meeting their grandchildren, hearing their stories, helping them through a, a, a tough situation. There are very few jobs in the world, especially sales jobs in the world, that you get to have that kind of, that uh, intimate of a relationship with that many people for that many years. I, I wrote that down. That's really good. 80% of what you do doesn't generate revenue. Right. Uh, that's what this podcast is about, by the way. Just, just a lot of that stuff that has nothing to do with the exchange of features and benefits with an HCP. Uh, Cause that really is so little of what we do. Um, but the, uh, the patient side, the patient contact side of what you do has always been fascinating to me. I know that's got to be very rewarding and uh, I imagine you have to test high in empathy. Yeah, I think that's probably the, um, one of the qualities I look for most in people that I interview or I hire, you know, we kind of, I guess, got sidetracked about 
how people get into this. You know, I know some people who have business backgrounds that have been very, very successful in this business. Um, matter of fact, the guy that's probably our leading sales rep for this company uh, came from a business background. Um, you know, but but he he is a good person. He has a great heart. He loves to help people. So I would say that, you know, do you have to have uh, a certain skill set to do the job? Absolutely. I don't think everybody can do it, nor do I think everybody wants to do it. Um, a lot of people get in and go, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, but I think you do have to have a, a pretty thick bone of empathy in, in your body to, to do this job and do it in a manner that I think is the professional way to do it. To the uh, <clears throat> listener that's just thinking about this space, if I'm coming into your door and saying, look, Jimmy, I'd like to work with you and let's do a field ride. And w- what are going to be the things that you're looking at me to see? Do I fit this, this box? What, what are the things that you're looking for? I think that's a great question because you're going to ride along within a day or two. Um, you, you can figure out a person's personality pretty quick, uh, and you can tell people's passion. You know, I, I've, I've done a lot of ride alongs over the years with people that I knew people I didn't know. Uh, and at the end of the day, I looked more at the, the person having questions about what we do and how we help people then how much money can I make doing that job and how much money can I make doing the other job? And, uh, how long will it take me to make that much money? Um, you know, this, this job does pay well. Um, it really does. Uh, I've, I've been blessed, uh, more than I probably deserve in that arena. It doesn't pay like it used to, uh, which a lot of our, you know, industry device jobs do not. Uh, and, and there's a lot more responsibility that goes along with managing a business now. But I think if you do the right things by the patient, clinically if you do the right things uh ethically in your business practices and you know anything your mother and father taught you before you were five years old anything you learned in, you know in sunday school is probably all you need to know to uh to be good at this you know do, do what you say uh when you when you say it mean it uh be truthful and everything else will work itself out valentine's day was uh, recently, and I, I don't know why I felt like uh, when I talked to my wife, what are we going to do tonight? I wanted to see the notebook. She hates it because it makes her sad. So <laughs> yeah. guess what? We didn't watch the notebook. But when when I saw the title of that movie, it reminded me of a story you told me. I just wanted you to... <laughs> I, I totally unrelated, right, to the movie, but uh, the notebook. Whenever I hear the, the word the notebook, I'm thinking of Jimmy. So... How much time did you invest into try, trying to come up with that segue to this part of this it, conversation? Because you know, you know, it's a crazy story. Welcome to my world. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a humorous story. A lot of people may go, "Guy, you're just a narcissistic old man," and why do you do that to people? Uh, but uh, when you know, back in the glory days, when we were super, super busy. Um, and get paid well for it. We, I had the great fortune of meeting a, of, and helping train a lot of people uh, that came to work for uh, both companies that I've worked for. And, uh, you know, I'd always tell them, you know, day one, bring a notebook. If you don't have a notebook, take 30 minutes, go to Staples, get a notebook. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, one of those classes you take in college when the you know, professor looks at and says, uh, you may want to write this down. 
And so if it sounds important, just write it down, right? Uh, and we'll edit it later. Kind of like we do on the podcast, right? Right. <laughs> so we'll just edit it out. Um, so, um, you know, I would ask guys, you know, okay, it's time to do your solo. You're going to do a solo procedure here with the physician. I'll be in the back room. And um, uh, that was kind of the, the final step before you set them free. And so uh, one of the guys that had been my business analyst within the company, and, oh, God, I do hope he listens to this podcast because he'll probably wet himself. He'll laugh so hard. Um, but he and he was this guy was a bright guy, you know, graduated from business school at the University of Georgia, went to Georgia Tech, got his MBA. You know, brilliant guy. So he's my business analyst. He wants to get out and do the field. He's like, Jimmy, what do you think? And I was like, you know, sure, man, if, if – uh, if, if we've got a position, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you as part of my team. I'd love to, you know, we had a great relationship for two or three years from, you know, the business perspective. I'd love to have you. So we get him, we hire him. He comes up here and uh, they want us like, and I come to him and said, bring a notebook. He says, okay. So he comes in and this guy's probably, I'm going to say he's 10 or 12 years younger than I am. So um, at the time he's in his very early thirties. And, uh, so he shows up to work the first day, and I was like, uh, where's your notebook? He uh, kind of laughs and says, I don't, I don't have a notebook. I was like, all right, man, um, have you got five bucks? Yeah, I got five bucks. I said, okay, go to, go to Staples, Office Depot, and get a notebook. It can be a small notebook, a, you know, a five-by-seven notebook. It can be a composition book. I don't care. You need a notebook. He goes, okay. So he goes and gets it, comes back. So we're about two weeks into this, me riding him every day about his notebook. Write this down, write that down. Uh, and so, you know, every, just, just like with your business, you know, our individual customers have individual and all surgeons, you know, you've seen this, they pull it, well, they used to pull up in a car and I guess it's probably in a computer now, but every surgeon has his or her, his or her preferences as to what they want to use for their procedure went, went from instruments to glove size, to suture material, how many layers, all those things. Right. So in our space, it's, you know, what kind of leads do they use? What Which generator do they want to use? How is it going to be programmed? What are acceptable numbers for them? How do they want to run the numbers when they ask for them? Are you going to do it on your own? All those things, right? So time to turn him to solo. He's two, three weeks in. I'm going to let him do his first case on his own. It's a simple uh, dual chamber pacemaker. And I go, all right, go pull your stuff comes back he's got some of the stuff not all the stuff and i was like where's the rest of your stuff said, oh okay he goes and comes back and i was like where's the rest of your stuff he goes this is the stuff i said do you refer to your notebook you know get your notebook and look at your notebook he kind of laughs and i was like go get your notebook john and he goes i i, I don't have it. it it's at the house i was like okay um and I said, uh, well, you can uh, go get lunch or whatever you want to do, but uh, I'm doing the case. You're not solo today. Uh, you need to go home and get your notebook. And he goes, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Just take what I need. And I was like, uh, no, I said, rules are the rules. Patient's patient. Doctor's the customer. And we have to have the right thing for the customer so we can take care of our ultimate customer, which is our patient. So go home and just get the damn notebook. It's as simple as that. We have cases this afternoon. If you go get the book, I'll let you do one. So the guy goes, needs to say, the guy goes and gets his notebook, he comes back. But uh, we still laugh about it 20 years later uh, about that story and everybody that says, you know, if we're at a meeting and we go, hey, you know, you need to go work with Jimmy and his team. And and, and John's always like, look, man, just, 
just don't forget the notebook, okay? Forget it. Yeah. You know, you cannot, don't forget the notebook. You can't do this job out of your head. There's just too, no, you cannot. too much information. Too much. I tell people this. All the analogy I use is, and I've, I've you know, flirted with flying airplanes here and there over the years. You know, I run an offshore boat. And, you know, it's, um, if, you'd, if you ever look at a pilot, an airline pilot, any pilot, when they walk to the airplane, they've got an attache case, right? Right. Flight. It's a flight bag. In that flight bag are notebooks upon notebooks. All right. In those notebooks, they look, even though they may fly the same type of plane every day, they may be in a different plane every day. Right. So they have uh, procedures that they do to keep because they have the lives of 400 plus people on an aircraft sometimes. So everything they do, they do literally by the book. And so from checkoffs, before they take off, <clears throat> in-flight procedures, pre-arrival procedures, and landing procedures, right? For every different airport they go into, and that's not including how to handle things in an emergency. You and I do the same thing every day when we go into an operating room, or in my case, if we're doing long-term follow-up on a patient. You have procedures, and there's no way you can keep all of that in your head, especially when you're new. So I tell folks is that if you can go fly an airplane, if you can go fly a 737 to California and back with no notes, then okay, you don't have to have a notebook. Unless you can do that, get the notebook. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I want to be on that flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, have any social media platforms that you're active on that, that people that are listening, if they wanted to just you know, check you out, see what you're doing these days, or you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, folks, can, I, I post very little things on uh, on Facebook other than, you know, fishing trips and uh, hunting trips and pictures of my grandkids and myself that are more than welcome to look me up on Facebook, uh, connect with me on Messenger. I, uh, I always look forward to um, entertaining people's questions about the industry um, because I'm still very passionate about it. And I'm, I'm free to, you know, I, I love to talk about it, as, as you well know. And, you know, just a side note, the math ain't that hard. I was a horrible math student. But, <laughs> but, but you know what? Going into radiology made me so much better of a, of, a, of a mathematician because everything, you know, early on in the career, you had to calculate, you know, uh, decimals and fractions, convert them back and forth. And all that. So it made me a lot better at it. Uh, funny story. I always wanted to be a pilot when I was growing up, you know, or an airline pilot. And I had a, uh, a cousin that was an uh, and a second cousin, it was an engineer, uh, aeronautical engineer from Martin Marietta. And I, that was a genius. And, um, my mother was like, you know, if, if you're going to do that, you got to get a lot better at math. <laughs> and I was like, look at me now, ma, look at me now, you know, how you like it now? <laughs> yeah. How you like me now, ma? So I did fine. She's proud of me. So everything worked out. <laughs> I, I believe most of my math classes, the, the strategy was D for diploma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Jimmy, just before I let you go, I was taking notes. Um, this will be the bonus feature on the DVD, right? Okay. Tell me about the relationship aspect with your customers. Um, so it's, you know, um, at the end of the day, so I'll start with this. At the end of the day, a customer is a customer. They may be friendly with you. Um, they may even befriend you. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're still a the customer. So it makes them always right. 
you know, I, I've had customers I've done a lot of business with for 20 years and the company would do something, not necessarily me or anyone on my team, not a shortcoming of the device, but the company would make a decision to go in a different direction with the new technology, maybe for a pilot and, uh, and half that customer be really upset and completely cut me off for two years. You know, um, they're very passionate folks about what they do as well. Um, but the relationship still has to be there. You know, I mean, I've, I've lived that, that exact story. I still have a great relationship with that customer because, you know, that customer is not angry with me. So we still provide patient care for that customer's patients. Uh, and we always will. We're still friendly with the guy and we always will be just because that's the professional thing to do. You know, relationships, this is a personal job. Um, yours is too. We give a lot of our personal lives to the job. Uh, and a lot of people would take that for granted because they go, well, that's your job. You chose that when you got into this. So understand that, you know, um, you may work side by side with, the, with these folks for years, but you're, you're not a doctor. Um, I've seen people get heartbroken by thinking they had the same credibility as a physician. Uh, and you don't. I've not spent one day in medical school. I, I tell people all the time I've got a license to hunt, fish, and drive a car in the state of North Carolina. I do not have a license to practice medicine. So I don't, I try not to judge that, you know? Right. Customer is always a customer. And I think people miss that at their own peril. Uh, just because you got invited over, or maybe you do things on the side, uh, you know, fun stuff outside of the OR. You miss uh, that customer aspect and that business aspect at your own at your own peril. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I don't think it matters whether you're selling pacemakers or you're selling artificial joints or you're selling suture. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The customer is the customer, especially when you have the end user uh, of the product that you and I have. You know, I mean, that guy's a, that guy's an implanting or, or gal is an implanting physician. And there's a human that's going to live with that for many, many years. You know, never forget that there's a, there's a heartbeat at the end of everything we do. You know, whether it's in my industry or your industry, there's always a, there's a, there's a, there's protoplasm and heartbeat at the end of that that has to, you're hopefully going to make their life better with your services. And, um, but at the end of the day, that that's what makes us passionate about it. But at the end of the day, the person implanting the product is a customer first and foremost. Great stuff, brother. Thank you for your time. Oh man. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you uh, asking me to do this, Kevin. It's uh, it means a lot to me. I've got so many things now to cross stitch and put on my kitchen wall right next to home is where the heart is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love these pearls, man. I mean, it just yeah, absolutely. These things are hard fought. The young, uh, the young reps don't appreciate, uh, and they will one day. Just uh, where a lot of these these little pearls of wisdom come from. And, uh, yeah, the smart ones listen. The, the smart ones listen. I've seen a lot of kids. I coach baseball, football over the years. They've gotten out of college. They got families of their own now, and and they're calling me or I'm running into them. They've got a job. You know, what about one here? What about this industry? So it's great to see the the new, the next generation come up. It really is. And the smart ones, 
the smart ones listen to the old guys. And the <laughs> really smart ones have their notebook. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. Have a great one, brother. Thank you again. Thanks, bro. You too, man. We'll see you. One of my earliest attempts uh, at trying to understand and share the feelings of others was with a nurse who was about six months pregnant, and I asked her, so when's the big day? She said, what day? I realized she wasn't pregnant. I blurted out, nurse's day, one of the crowning achievements of my life that I came up with that one. And she said, oh, that's May 12th or something like that. I said, great, I'll bring donuts. And I got out of there. And at that moment, I felt like that guy on the Clint Eastwood Western who was hanging by the end of the rope and Clint Eastwood shot him down at the last second. So uh, I won't be making that mistake ever again in this lifetime. It's a lot of stuff, I know, a lot of stuff to chew on, but here's your homework assignment. I want you to really be intentionally thinking about who are you in this grand scheme of things, and who are your customers? What are their personality types, and are you conducting yourself in such a way as to complement that, or is it antagonistic, or are you basically just the same person to everybody and not really thinking about it at all? So, just something to be pondering this week of looking at how can we understand our territory better? How can we understand how to plug in with our territory better? Uh, how do we defend the business that we have better? How do we go after business that we don't have better? And a lot of that comes down to just that, knowing who we are and how we can bring the most value to the relationships around us by operating in Cognitive empathy, fancy words today, fancy living. Look, you want to be around for the next episode, an AAOS extravaganza. I have one of the biggest names in orthopedics on the line. I feel like I'm backstage at a Rolling Stones concert, and I just got to interview Mick Jagger. You're going to get to hear from Wayne Poprosky. Yes, Wayne Poprosky, the Poprosky classification, the guy who invented the ETO. I mean, it's just amazing the fingerprint that this man has made on joint replacement. So you're going to want to hear what he has to say in just seven short days. So I hope you all have an awesome week. I really am thankful that you took time out of your day to, to listen. Give me your thoughts on this whole thing about empathy and, and anything that you came up with about you, your territory, and all that, I'd love to hear from you at devicenation at protonmail.com. I hope you have an awesome week, good selling, and good day. Device Nation.